The Word of God is living. It is powerful, infallible, indestructible, incorruptible, and it will work mightily in me. And now, your host, Pastor Jerry Maya Williams, from the service already in progress. Draw me close, closer than ever before, wrap me in your arms. Take me to that secret place. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this day. For this is the day that you've made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. We ask of you, Father, to wrap us in your arms. Take us to that secret place. And we thank you, Father, that your spirit is in this place. Your anointing is upon this service. For you are spirit. And you said they that worship you must worship you in spirit and in truth. Let us dwell this day in that secret place of the Most High. And abide in your shadow, you are El Shaddai, the Almighty. So in Jesus' name, we thank you for your blessings upon this service. We thank you for your blessings upon the word of God. Let the word of God come forth in power and authority, wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. Let your words be spoken with conviction and clarity. And we thank you, Father God. That it shall bless the people, encourage the people, inspire them, lift them up, and give them hope. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you once again, and good morning to you. Thank you for being part of this worship service. God is a good God, and he's good all the time. And before I get into the good word of God... I want to remind you that if you didn't get to the church yesterday to pick up your communion supplies, make sure you get here Saturday to pick up your communion supplies because next Sunday we will observe communion. We will observe the Lord's Supper in Holy Communion. And so if you didn't pick up your supplies yesterday, you can pick them up Saturday at the church between 10 a.m. and 12 noon. We're going to move forward as the church. We are the church, and we must go forward. We are the church, and we must hold on. No matter what's going on around us, God is still God. And let us still be the people of God. And I want to encourage you in your faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And many of you, you're struggling with your resources, or perhaps you're struggling with your faith. But either way, it's still a struggle. I'm encouraging you to look to God, for God will help you. God will give you the grace. And you always be on the right side of things when it comes to the things of God. God promised that he should, will supply all of our needs. He didn't say he would supply some of our needs, but he's promised that he would supply all of our needs, not according to the need, but according to his riches in glory. So be encouraged, beloved. We're going to get through this thing, 
And we're going to get through this thing together. But remember, God is in control. Glory to God. So don't get weary, but have faith in God. This morning, I'll be speaking to you from Genesis chapter 3. Last week, I began to talk to you about God's priority. And this week, I want to take it a step further and talk about God's promise provision. God's promise provision. In Genesis chapter 3, and I want to begin reading at verse 8, and I'm reading these verses today just to give you a background. You know, what set the stage for God's priority? What set the stage for God to promise a provision to lost man? What sets the stage? What was the scenario? And so in Genesis chapter 8, I'll pick it up there. This is after Adam and Eve fell in the garden. They fell in sin in their disobedience to God. They disobeyed the commandment of God. But in verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. This is what sin does to us. Sin calls us to feel guilt. Sin calls us to feel deeply ashamed. Sin calls us to feel anguish and remorse. And instead of running to God, there's a tendency to try to escape the presence of God. But how silly can that be? You can never escape the presence of a God who's omnipresent. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or whither shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And behold, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. So the psalmist David was saying there, it's impossible to escape the presence of God. And what I like about this, that even though Adam and Eve had fallen in sin, and they were trying to hide themselves from God, God wasn't trying to hide himself from them. He came to visit them, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Verse 9 says, And then the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid uh, because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam was afraid because of his nakedness and his embarrassment. God says, Where are you? That was a question. And once again, I want to remind you this is not a question of geographical or physical location. This is a question about your spiritual condition. Your spiritual condition, you're responsible for. And God holds you responsible for the things he's said unto you. The commandments he's given unto you. You're responsible for making the decisions to honor the Lord's word or to disobey the Lord's word. So the Lord said to Adam, where are you? And Adam said, he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And look at that. Even when you're in a sinful condition, you can still hear God's voice. Thank God for that because how would you ever be convicted to a place of repentance? How would you ever be convicted to ask God to forgive you if you couldn't hear his voice? So Adam heard the voice of the Lord. And he said, I was afraid because I, I was naked and I hid myself. Then he said, then the Lord said, who told you you were naked? There's a lot of things we believe about our lives. A lot of things we believe about our conditions that God didn't give us that information. 
And if you're operating on information that God didn't give you, it's always going to lead you to try to get away from God, to try to place distance between you and God. We need to operate on information that God has given us, not the information that guilt or sin has given us. Then verse 12 God asked Adam in verse 11, he says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And this was a very simple commandment in, in, in chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 17, I believe. Very simple commandment. He said to Adam, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now remember, Adam was in paradise. He was in Eden. And everything he ever wanted, everything he'd ever need was already there, already uh, prepared for him. And God says, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge and good, you shall not eat of that tree. For in the day you do, Adam, you shall surely die. So God asked him, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you that you should not eat? And I want you to notice what sin does to us. Sin causes us to be irresponsible. Sin causes us to go into the blame game. We blame everybody but ourselves sometimes. And this is what Adam is doing because of his now fallen nature. In verse 12, the man said, Adam said to God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Now please notice that Adam is blaming God for his failure. He's blaming Eve for his sin. Now, Eve, she was craftfully fooled or deceived by the serpent, but Adam deliberately disobeyed God. God gave the commandment to the man, and yet the man, instead of manning up, if you will, and being a man, he blamed the woman. I tell you, nine out of ten times, when there's a problem in a marriage, when there's a problem in the home, it can always be traced back to the man. And oftentimes that man has been irresponsible in some way. And we got a man up as men. God asked Adam, have you disobeyed me, Adam? And he says, the woman you gave to me, she did give me to eat of the tree and I ate. In other words, I don't have a problem, Lord. This is your problem. This is Eve's problem. This is the height of irresponsibleness. And behind all sin, listen to me, beloved, behind all sin is irresponsibility. Then verse 3, the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So here you go. You see how irresponsibleness cascades down from the man to the woman. The man was irresponsible. Now the woman is being irresponsible. She's blaming the serpent rather than taking responsibility. So verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, I want you to notice this. The, the Lord is going to place a curse on the serpent but he did not place a curse on the man. He did not place a curse on the woman. This is how much God loves us. Even when we fall, even when we're wrong, even when we disobey God, God doesn't stop loving us and he will never curse us, but he will curse the enemy. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle more than every beast of the field. 
and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Once again, God cursed the serpent, but he didn't curse the man, didn't curse the woman, because he had a plan and a provision made for them. He had a priority for them. He had a priority and a provision for the man and the woman. But for the serpent, he cursed. And I want you to look at this curse. God says, you curse more than any of the beasts of the field. Now, that, that, that clearly implies that there are other beasts that were cursed. But God says, you're more cursed than any beast of the field. Now, what was the curse? God says, on your belly is your goal, and you shall eat dust. Now, this clearly shows us, beloved, that the serpent wasn't always a belly crawler. Now, I don't know what the serpent's posture was because the Bible doesn't say. I don't know if he walked on two feet. I don't know if he stood up upright. But when God cursed him, God says, you're going to have to crawl on your belly and you're going to have to eat dust. Isaiah 65 verse 25 says, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. In other words, dust shall be the serpent's food. So when God cursed the serpent, God humiliated the serpent. He humiliated the serpent lower than any cattle or beast of the field. He shamed the serpent. He degraded the serpent. And now the serpent is the most degraded creature in all of God's creation. And that was the curse on the serpent. Now we get to verse 15, and that's what I want to take my message from today. Because verse 15 is God's provision, promise provision for fallen man. And he says in verse 15, and I will put enmity, in other words, I will put hatred and hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I need to go through that real slow. God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. God said the woman would have seed. The woman would have seed. And we know this is prophetically speaking of uh, the Immaculate Conception where Mary brought forth Jesus who was, born, uh, who was born by the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head you shall bruise his heel. So ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God's priority has been to seek and to save the lost. And here we see in verse 15 that God's first promise ever made was to send a savior. And the savior would make a way for man. Thank God Jesus made a way for me. Thank God Jesus made a way for you. So the savior would make a way for man. And so God's promise provision was simply this. Number one, the woman would have a son. Glory to God. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem us that were under the curse of the law. 
The second part of this promise was that the son would destroy Satan. The son would bruise Satan's head, but Satan would only bruise his heel. When Jesus died and suffered on the cross, that was Satan bruising his heel. In other words, Satan was bruising the body of Jesus, but Satan never touched the mind and the soul of Jesus. Glory to God. But Jesus destroyed Satan. He bruised his head. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, having spoiled principalities, speaking of Jesus, having spoiled principalities, and he triumphed over them in it, and he made an open show of them. Not only did Jesus crush the head of Satan, not only did he, he utterly defeat Satan, he paraded around Satan. He triumphed over Satan. So a bruise to the heel. To strike someone's heel can be an aggravation. But when you strike the head, when you bruise the head, that can be a devastation. And Jesus devastated the devil, but the devil could only aggravate him. Glory to God. And the third part of this, this promise was simply this. Satan bruised the heel of the woman's son. And we know that woman's son, his name was Jesus. But after Jesus' atoning death and resurrection, he gave the world a promised provision. Here it is, beloved. It's called the gospel. It's called the proto-evangel. Let me say it again. The proto-evangel. The proto-evangel is the first gospel. This verse in Genesis 3.15, when God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was the first gospel. This was the first messianic prophecy and it's called the Proto-Evangel. It's God's promised provision. So what is a provision? What is a provision? Provision is nothing more than a supply for need. It's that which is prepared beforehand. The prophet Isaiah, he knew somehow by the Spirit of God that when Jesus would come, that Jesus would bring God's promise provision. In Isaiah 61, the prophet begins to prophesy and he shows that when Jesus would come, he would stand in the temple and he would say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to preach glad tidings to the meek to preach the gospel to the poor. It is the gospel that's God's promise provision. In Mark chapter 16, in Mark chapter 16, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus appears to his disciples and they're sitting around a table having dinner and he begins to upbraid his disciples for the unbelief and the hardness of the heart. See, that's the problem. He upbraided them for the unbelief and the hardness of heart because they didn't believe those that told them that Jesus had arisen. Why didn't they believe him? Because it was a woman. It was a woman to first preach the gospel after Jesus was 
was resurrected from the dead. And they didn't want to accept the word from Mary. Mary was the first evangelist. Mary was the first one to proclaim God's promised provision. But the men didn't want to believe it. So Jesus upbraided them. He upbraided them for the unbelief and the hardness of heart. See, that's the problem. See, God didn't curse Adam and Eve. But the problem for Adam and Eve would have been to continue with unbelief and hardness of heart. So after Jesus upbraided them for the unbelief and hardness of heart, then he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? The gospel is God's promised provision for lost man. Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So why do we be baptized? We're baptized, we're baptized to identify that we have believed this provision, that we have accepted this provision. And he said, he who believes it and is baptized shall be saved, and those that believe it not shall be condemned. So he told his disciples, give them God's provision. We preach the gospel. This is God's answer that he's provided for every person lost in sin and darkness right now. Then in another place, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and they asked him a very important question. They said, Lord, what would be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Jesus answered them by saying, let no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying they are the Christ. But they will deceive many. He says, you will hear about wars and rumors of wars. But let none of these things trouble you. For these things have to come to pass. I need you to hear this. So many times when we hear about wars and rumors of war, the first thing we want to say, well, the world must be coming to an end. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He says nation shall rise against nation. Kingdom shall rise against kingdom. He says there will be famines, there will be pestilences, and he said there will be earthquakes in diverse places. Those of you who live here in North Carolina, you know that two weekends ago, there was a major earthquake that shook much of North Carolina. But Jesus had already foresaw those things. But that wasn't it. He says, these are only the beginning of sorrows. Now, let's go back to the question. The question was, what would be the sign of your coming? What would be the end of the world? Then when you get to verse 14 and Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached unto all the world as a witness unto all nations and then the end shall come. He said God's provision has to be made to all people in every nation. Then the end will come. What kind of God will we be serving? when he provides a promised provision for some, but not the provision for all. So Jesus is the main sign. 
You want to know when he's coming back? You want to know when the world's going to end? He says the main sign to observe is that this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world as a witness unto the nations. Then the end shall come. This is what drives me and burning my heart to want to take the gospel around the world. I don't do it to, be, to take a vacation. And those of you that have gone with me, you know we're not on vacation. We're working. We're trying to fulfill the commandment. We're trying to fulfill God's promised provision for all men. And that is the gospel. Glory to God. But you know what, beloved? Everybody won't respond like Adam and Eve responded. Adam and Eve, God took the skin of animals, offered a blood sacrifice to cover their sin. But everybody won't allow their sins to be covered, even though there's a provision that's already been made. Everybody won't respond to the gospel. Apostle Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 8. In fact, he says, how man responds to the gospel will make the difference. You know, I don't care what you provide. I know growing up, my mother always provided our meals. But a lot of times I didn't want to eat what my mother provided. And my mother said, well, you either eat that or you'll starve. And God's the same way. He says, this is my promised provision. You'll either accept this or you'll be damned. You'll be lost. Huh? Remember now, a provision is something prepared for him. My mother would cook for a family of nine children plus my father. And dinner is there on the stove. And I would say to her, I don't like that. I don't want to eat that. She said, then you're going to starve. And I'm telling you, if you don't want to, you don't want to accept God's promised provision, you will starve spiritually and be damned. It all comes down to how you respond to what God has provided beforehand. And that is the gospel. How do you respond? In Romans chapter 10, Paul said in verse 8, Paul says, but what does it say? What does it say? What does it say? What does the gospel really say? It says the word is nigh in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you shall be saved. And with the heart, you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him will not be made ashamed. Your second state will never be worse than your first state when you accept God's provision. You will always be better for it. Nobody comes to God after hearing this gospel and then they regret it. You don't regret hearing the truth that God has prepared for you. But if you believe on the message of the gospel, the scripture declares you shall not be made ashamed. So we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Those of us that have accepted the message. Those of us that have accepted the provision. God's promised provision. 
Join us Sunday at Agape Word Fellowship, where Dr. Jerry Maya Williams is your pastor, proclaiming a life-changing message of the agape love and power that God is. For more information, log on now at www.agapeword.net. 1430 South New Hope Road, Agape Word Fellowship.